I'm going to invite Connie Jacobs to come up. She is our speaker this morning. Matt is away on the men's retreat. You may notice several men missing. Um, they're having an awesome weekend out in the Crow's Nest Pass. So Connie Jacobs, has she does a lot of things. Um, she has done, you may have heard of Movement with a Message before, a lot of work there. It's a lot of incredible work in schools. Right now, focusing especially with mental health. Um, and Chris was sharing with me, Chris and Amanda have known Connie for a very long time. You were Amanda's youth leader? Is that correct? Yeah, not really. Something. I don't know. That's what she told me. So it's okay. Um, I'm so, not that old. <laughs> something. She let her. Anyways, it's fine. Um, yeah, so she does a lot of amazing things through the work that she does. She's in schools. Um, she's gotten with Bell Let's Talk and The Bay and a bunch of different like business companies that she's been working with. Um, she has a huge, huge heart for the marginalized in this city. And like Chris was saying, make sure people know. You might not know looking at her, but she is a fierce hip hop dancer. So yeah, woo woo. Oh yeah, there we go, there we go. Um, so she's gonna be speaking to us. She has lots of energy, lots of creativity, and I'm sure you will hear that through her words. And so we are very excited to have you here with us and to hear your words that you'll have. So I'm just gonna pray for you. Yeah, Father, I thank you for Connie. I thank you for the heart that you have given her to see people that all of us might not necessarily see, um, for the doors that you have opened, for the way that you have blessed her willingness just to say yes to wherever you lead her. And so this morning with um, what she's prepared to share with us, I pray that you would give us open and willing hearts to hear it um, and not to just hear it, but actually think about and practice that in our everyday lives because um, she's got some, some pretty important uh, just basic words also to what it looks like to follow you in our city that um yeah it's so key to following you and we're just we're going to be really blessed i already know by her words so just be with her and bless her as well in jesus name amen, amen. thanks so much for having me i'm a pentecostal in a mennonite church so all i'm doing is praying jesus help me not say something stupid that's my only prayer this morning. Um, could I get these two lights dimmed just a little bit? Because seeing you is important. I love people. There you are. I knew you were good looking. I knew you. Wow. Like, I thought you all had gray hair, but you don't. <laughs> it is uh, honestly a, a pleasure to be here. There's so many amazing people in this church who I love so deeply. And so I'm here to serve you this morning. Um, with the Word of God. I want to I take you to a very familiar Bible story, passage of Scripture. In John 11, he talks about the story of Lazarus. And Jesus and his disciples are far away from where Lazarus has just died. And Jesus gets word, I don't know, through snail mail, camel mail, some kind of weird mail system, telegraphic, you tell him that tells her that passes it on to the next, I don't know how he heard, but he heard that, that Lazarus has died. And I don't know if we often identify Jesus this way, but you know, Jesus can do absolutely anything. He can do anything. And here's, here's God in the flesh. Here's about his friends passing. And what does he do? He doesn't go, don't you worry. I'm on my way. The miracle's coming. Move out of the way, people. I'm, I'm coming through. I'm about to perform a miracle. No, he doesn't. Jesus weeps. In fact, if you've never memorized a scripture in your life, start with John 11. Jesus wept. 
He takes a minute and he weeps. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus take a moment to weep when he knew very well that he was going to do something miraculous? It's because Jesus, when he came to the earth, he valued having a human experience. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not one that's just authoritarian. It's personal. It's family. It's relationship. And Jesus modeled for us time and time again throughout Scripture and throughout his time on earth that valuing people, walking with people, identifying with people meant a lot to him. He took a moment and he wept for his friend because having a human experience was something that our Lord valued. And he wants us to value it as well. I work in a lot, a lot of what I do is mental health related, and I find it interesting. I find it interesting that right now all the scientific studies, the sociological studies, the things that are coming up is this idea of connection healing us. That was a God idea first. See, God's kingdom is all about belonging to him and belonging to each other. Sometimes we like one or the other. Just me and Jesus. I got some news for you. It's not you and Jesus, VIP in heaven. You don't get special seating. We all are going to be there together. So the people that are around you right now, look around because those are the people who are going to be right there with you. Like my friend who's new at church today. My friend Shar's friend. Welcome. So glad to see you. Every single, every single person in this room matters in the kingdom of God. We belong to each other. And that's great news, and it's also really bad news. Because <laughs> people are so interesting, aren't they? So that person that you may have not liked so much, I mean, I'm sorry, but you're kind of stuck with them for a long time to infinity and beyond. <laughs> Jesus he, he hears the story of Lazarus dying, and he says to his disciples, we have to go. We have to go see. We have to go be with Martha and Mary. And his disciples, they thought he was crazy. See, the last time Jesus was with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he was almost killed. And they're like, you're crazy. Don't go back there. You were almost murdered. You can't go there. But see, Jesus will always go past the places that we think are scary. Jesus will always go past the, the, the situations that we would never face, that we would never go into that place. We would never go there because it's too risky. Jesus says, that's exactly where I want to go. I want to go to the places of risk. I want to go where the people are the hardest. I want to go where, where there's the most need. I want to go where there's danger because he knew that God goes before him. And one thing I feel called to do in, in my faith walk is continuously listen to Holy Spirit. Listen and abide in the vine who is always sprouting. Jesus the vine. In John 15, he's always sprouting. It doesn't say that Jesus is this weak little vine. No, he is moving. He is going places in our culture, in our society that we think, oh, that's just a lost cause. No, Jesus is right there. Holy Spirit is already there and he's moving and he shifting things and he's calling the courageous and he's saying will you go 
to the places that you think are the most lost. I work with a lot of LGBTQ because I'm an artist. And guess who else are artists? A lot of LGBTQ. I remember once um, one of the artists that I work with, she wanted to go out for coffee and she sat me down and she said, Connie, I just want you to know that I'm bisexual. I'm like, yeah, I know. That wasn't anything new for me. But then she said, actually, I also want to tell you that, that I'm polyamorous. Poly who? I'm pretty sheltered. Like, I grew up in Calgary, like, just very, you know, suburbia, church, you know, the Harrimans. I went to church with the Harrimans, went to church with Amanda. I may have been her youth leader, but I'm really only a couple of years older. <laughs> and honestly, like, I was, I was sheltered, and I had no idea what polyamory was. It's, it's many lovers. So she's married, but she's open to many lovers. And I don't know about you, but when people tell you things that are going on in their lives, I was trying really hard to figure out what my face should look like. I mean, I didn't want to look like. And I certainly didn't want to look like. And I did not want to go, oh, that's nice. I didn't know what to say. Neutral face, neutral face, neutral face. What do you say to that? And I'm like, oh, God. Like, I don't, and she's like, what do you think God thinks of my lifestyle? Oh, how do you answer that? How do you answer that? And Holy Spirit, I'll tell you, he's always there. He's always there. When, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to slap the truth all over her. What you're doing is wrong. This is so bad for you. This is not God's plan for you. There's, I just spit. Oh, my gosh. There's so much more for you. I, that's what I wanted to do. And I feel like Christians, sometimes we feel the, the, the responsibility to speak the truth. And yes, we do. But it also says to speak the truth in love. But there's also Holy Spirit who's there to give us wisdom. Because we don't know where people are at in their particular life journey. And so what we need to do in those moments is we need to lean into the vine. We need to abide in the vine. We need to have that intimacy with Holy Spirit and with Jesus. And I'll tell you what, intimacy with the Father does not happen just on a Sunday morning. Intimacy with the Father is a lifestyle. And I really feel that if we as the body of Christ, we're really... Just allowing that relationship between us and our Father in heaven to flourish, we would not see the world in the state it's in right now. Because we are called to be culture makers, co-creators with the Father, to create as, as it is in heaven, now it is on earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of putting up with what I see. I'm tired of watching my polyamorous friend in chains and shackles. And so what I said to her, through the Holy Spirit's help, is, is I said, I think what you need is an experience with the love of God, and then we'll talk. Well, three years later, I baptized her. She came to the Lord. And she wouldn't have if I would have slapped the truth all over her, because I've done that before. I was a pastor in Vancouver for, for quite a few years, and I used to have these Bible interns come with me, and we would travel all over B.C., and I remember this one particular fellow decided to come out that summer. 
I mean, he's in Vancouver. He's like, this is the perfect place. And so he walked into my office and Holy Spirit spoke to me. And, 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 and I said, there's something you need to tell me. He said, yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to tell you, but I f- I, I'm gay. I'm like, but you go to Bible college. And he's like, yeah, I know, but I'm gay. And we're in the middle of summer. He's a, he's a youth intern. He's on staff with us. And because I was only maybe 26 years old, I'm fresh out of college. I, I only know what I've been told. I'm trying, to lo- I'm trying to live the life that God has for me. I don't know any better. This is what I say to him. I threw Romans 1 right at him, and I said, if you walk out my door and you decide to stay gay, then you can just keep walking. Or you can repent, and you can stay with us for the rest of the summer. Well, guess what he did? He walked out the door, and I don't know where he is. And I thought, God, I thought I did the right thing. God, I thought I did the right thing. I was just trying to follow you, but why does this feel so yucky right now? Why do I feel like the truth didn't set someone free today? The truth always sets us free. It always sets us free. The truth always sets us free. But the difference is, is that are we abiding in the vine? Are we leaning in to God's heart? Because sometimes the truth is, is he loves that person more than trying to fix their behavior at the moment. A few years ago, Four years ago, my oldest son was suicidal. My son. My son. My husband and I, we're normal people. I used to work in the streets of East Vancouver, and I would, I would work with these youth at risk, and I would always just be like, well, their parents must not be home, or their parents must not be invested, or, or it's because of their upbringing, or it's because of poverty, it's because of this. And here's now my son struggling with mental health issues. At six years old, my son was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, oppositional defiance disorder, and ADHD. My son, someone who follows Jesus, someone who loves the Lord with all my heart, someone who works in resilience, someone in ministry. How could this happen to me? I mean, the only weird thing about me is that I break dance. It's that hip hop, I tell you. It's that hip-hop. And I remember, you know, depression for my son did not show up as, as sadness. That would have been easier. Depression for my son showed up as anger and aggression and lashing out and wrecking our home and, and threatening us and himself with knives. I had to hide the knives in my house. It was scary. It was a crisis. I remember knocking on doors to get help, and he would act like an angel when we were in the office. It's so funny. He'd be like, all the way to the office, and then as soon as we get into the appointment we've been waiting for for eight months, he's now an angel. And they said, we can't help you. Look at him. I know. Look at him, right? Smart kid. Oh, my goodness, it was awful. And so at eight years old, when he threatened his life, we took him to the Alberta Children's Hospital. That's what I was told to do. One psychiatrist had mercy on us. She said, because I believe she'd seen this enough. She's like, you know what? If he threatens you or himself, you take him to the Children's Hospital. So we did, and he stayed there for three weeks. 
And I remember the psychologist bringing me into her office and she said, so what do you do when your son is throwing these fits of rage? I said, well, I send him to his room. And I tell him when he's going to be a good boy. That's when he can come out. And I was waiting for him like the gold star from the psychologist, like, great job, mama. That's exactly what you should do. But no, she surprised me. She said something that has changed everything for our home. She said something that I believe is the closest thing to God's heart that I've ever heard in my life. She said, oh, no, you never send the hurting away from you. You bring them closer. I didn't know what that looked like. What do you mean bring the hurting closer? No, when he's acting like that, he deserves punishment. He needs to know that that's not allowed in my house. Same way as, as the outside world. Oh, no, no, no. They deserve punishment. They, they, they deserve to, they need to repent and then they can belong. But that goes contrary against the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God will chase after you until you're found. The heartbeat of God will remove every obstacle just to find you in the corner where you are trying to hide from his presence. The, the heart of God will go to the furthest lengths and go to the deepest ocean. He will, he will search and find you because, see, we think we seek him, but no, no. He seeks us and he searches for us and he pursues us with a relentless passion and he says, I will never let you go. I will never let you go. I'm willing to go in the crevices of your heart. I'm willing to go to those places that you feel like you've, you've disappointed me, you've failed me, you have, you have uh, made wrong decisions. I'm going there. And watch me. Watch what I do when I go there. When you allow me, the Father, to go to those places, watch what I can do. I bring you closer. I don't push you away. I don't tell you to go to your room and get yourself all Christianized and, and cleansed and sprinkled. Sprinkle, 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 holy water, here it comes. No, we don't have to do that. That's why it's amazing grace. It's not jump through these hoops and then, wow, isn't this amazing grace? No. No, it's amazing because it literally is too good to be true. And I think those of us who have grown up in the church have forgotten how good to, true, good to be true it is. We forget. God doesn't do karma. He does grace. God doesn't say, oh, you're sick? You got cancer? Oh, I guess something's wrong. No, no, no. That is not the way the Father works. That is not the heart of God. See, he always goes to places and to people and to the places in our hearts where we would just love to hide. And I remember bringing my son home from the hospital, and I remember thinking, okay, next fit of rage, I'll keep him with me. Oh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Because while he's throwing a fit of rage, I mean, sending him to his room was great. I didn't have to see it. Isn't that nice when you don't have to see brokenness? You don't have to hear it. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to feel it because it feels awful. And so when people walk in our, in, our, in our buildings and they're so broken, a lady just had an affair last night. She's like, I don't know where else to go. I just, I feel awful. I'm literally shaking because I just don't know what to do. I didn't ever expect I would be there. Do you know how many Christian couples end up 
in adultery, it would surprise you. And it's because we don't talk about it. Because we've lost who we are as people. People don't end up where they are because they're bad people. And Jesus certainly did not come to make bad people good. No, he said, I'm going to the place where you're the most broken. I'm going to see what's underneath that behavior, and I'm going to resurrect it. That's what I'm going to do. But see, we're so afraid. We're so afraid to let him see what decisions we've made, what we've done, because it's too scary. And certainly, what would anybody think, including ourselves? If we were doing so great... If we were doing so great as a nation, if we were doing so great as a church, can I ask you this question? Why are 55% of our young people's hospital visits for mental health? 55%. That's more than broken legs. And when, when young people visit a hospital for mental health, it means they've threatened their life. If we're doing so great, why is one out of every five of you struggling with anxiety or depression? And if we're doing so great, why is the divorce rate rising? See, these, these cultural things are basically a mirror saying, hey, have a look. And I'll tell you what, when my son was completely emotionally dysregulated beside me, throwing fits of rage, I'll tell you what, things came up for me. Things like, I hate anger. Oh, I don't like brokenness. Somebody just fix this kid. Throw some meds at him for heaven's sakes and get him fixed so we can move on with our life. But no. You see, God was about to do a mighty work, not in my son, but in me. You want to know why our young people are suffering? It's because the adults have left the building. We've left the building. We now have schools that have, you know, uh, pink shirt day. Do you know how many pink shirt day assemblies I've spoken at in the last 15 years? If a pink shirt was going to solve bullying, it would have years ago. If a mental health assembly was going to solve those issues, it would have days ago, years ago. These things aren't working. I recently had a grade 8 come up to me after one of our mental health assemblies, and she said, you know what, you speakers, you're all the same. You say the same thing over and over. We're not listening. And I thought, wow. She wasn't being sassy. She was being honest. The cry of this generation is stop talking at us and walk with us. Stop telling us what to do and start modeling. Stop, stop uh, praying over, I used to pray demons out of my child, oh bless the Lord. Um, stop doing that and, and put your arm around me and tell me I'm going to be okay. You see, we don't know what to do with brokenness, but Jesus does. And in those moments when my son was losing it, I had a choice. I could either go into my crazy fix-it mode, it's called motherhood. <laughs> If, if, you, if you guys are wondering where your mothers get it from, it just comes natural to us. It's just there. It's our gift to you. <laughs> but you know, sometimes we have to let go of that instinct to overpower and say, okay, Father, what does love look like in this moment? What does your love look like? What does resurrection look like in this moment? And I'll tell you what, God because I allowed him to, did a mighty work in me. My son is now 12 years old. You would never guess 
he has anxiety and depression and opposition. I had to do a whole lot of work with God. And he showed me, see, on my lap, when you come on my lap and you lean on my chest, you will find all the healing you need. That's all we need. You don't, you don't need that self-help book. I think Bernie Brown is awesome. I love her. But you know, we don't even really, we, we've got Holy Spirit. We've got the Father on our side. And I'll tell you what, there's never been a world more hungry. There's never been a world that's dying for us to say with Jesus, yes, I'll go to the places that make me feel squirmy. And, and you'll know, you'll know because God will put it on your heart. God will say, why don't you go down to pride today and pray for somebody? Just walk with Holy Spirit eyes. And at first, you know, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, if it makes you squirm, lean in and see what the Father says. See what the Father says. He's always willing to risk. So Jesus shows up, and there's Mary and Martha, and Martha comes right up to Jesus and says, where were you? If you were here, my brother would not have died. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are really angry at God. Some of you are sitting in this room today really angry at God. Like, okay, if God's real, if God's really real, then why did this happen? Or why is this the way it is? Why is our world the way it is? There's a lot of questions out there. And notice what Jesus does. He doesn't say, don't worry, I'm the answer. I'm here. Da-da-da, da Here comes Jesus. No, no what, what, what does he do? He, he listens to her. He's about to do a miracle. I mean, how many of us love to get in the way and say, don't you worry, because all things work together for good for those that love God. And we all want to tell those people to shut up, right? Am I allowed to say that? It's one of those offensive things that maybe I need to do this after. I don't know. We, it's not helpful. Jesus, Jesus never imposed beliefs on people. He, he, he walked in with his presence, and it changed the game. When you walk into the room, everything changes. It's true. Everything changes, and he doesn't even have to say a word. So he goes over to Lazarus' grave, and we all know the story. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And out comes Lazarus. So he's got his, like, tomb wrapping clothes on, Right? But like, someone take off my, I can't talk. Can somebody just, right here, please, somebody? It's my attempt at comedy. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, okay? <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're laughing. Hey, nice. This guy's sleeping. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> out comes Lazarus. It's a miracle. He's been dead for not one, not two, not three, but four days. He's been dead for four days. It's a miracle. If that happened today, we would clear the room because it would stink. But it'd be amazing. So out comes Lazarus. But see, Jesus is the one that resurrects people. We forget that. And every time we try to control someone or get them to make a decision so we can check it off on our, on our stuff that we send into, you know, we had three salvations today. Yay, us. Check, check, check. You see, we don't save anybody. 
We don't do that. That's, that's fully God. That's him. That's Holy Spirit's job. He's the one who resurrects. And we get into trouble when we try to impose onto other people. You see, every time I want someone to change for my benefit and not theirs, it's called manipulation. No, not, 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 not me. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I don't manipulate. Oh, we do. But we don't do it intentionally. We don't do it intentionally. But here's the thing. When my friend... She's polyamorous. She's bisexual. If I want to change her just so I can feel comfortable, it is manipulation. And we wonder why people are disgusted at the church today. I think we have a whole lot of repenting to do before we have a lot of preaching to do. And it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem, Some of you are like, uh-uh, who is this girl? I'm telling Matt. I'm getting on the phone. I'm going to phone him up. I'm going to say this was heresy this morning. No, I'm telling you, as soon as, as, soon as we impose onto them, do you know, what, you know why the reason why pride started, why it's risen to be what it is today? Because many people who were gay were abandoned and rejected you get a whole load of people with wounded hearts, you get a whole lot of orphan hearts together, they will rise up. They will be an army. An army that was meant to cause good now is not because it's created. It's a social norm created. These things are created by rejection. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. I'm not saying condone it. I'm just saying, what does it look like to bring people closer the hurting closer rather than reject and push them away? What does it look like? What does resurrection look like to a person struggling with their sexuality? What are we going to do as a church when we start seeing my two lesbian friends with their two daughters walk in the door? Are we going to break up their family? Guys, we have some serious social issues we have to face as a church, and I'm calling the church to bravery, to face it with courage rather than with cowardice. Oh, we'll deal with that later. No, we won't deal with it later because it's right at your door knocking. What are we going to do? What does it look like to have the word of God as the standard but also bring people closer? I believe that God has our answers. I remember praying and saying, God, how do we reach these people? How do, we, how do we reach our world with the love of God? I am so afraid. And he said to me, in my gut, he said, why are you afraid? I'm not afraid. And it gave me so much courage. God is not afraid. God is not afraid. God is not afraid of pride. He's not afraid of brokenness. He's not afraid of those things because his love conquers all and resurrection is always on his mind. Resurrection is always an option. Resurrection goes to the places and the deserts that we think are ruined and he says, rise up, rise up, rise up because that's what he does. He's a miracle working God. Oh, wow, you guys said amen. I heard that you guys don't do that. Snaps to you. Snaps. That was great. But it's true. And that's why we respond that way, because we know the truth. It's the truth. But here's something that Jesus does not do. Here's something that Jesus did not do for Lazarus. Yes, he resurrected him. But Lazarus comes out. He's still wrapped in his death clothes. This is from my friend Shannon Dean. Who knows Shannon from Camp Chestermere? Yes. 
This is from Shannon. It blew my mind when he told me this. All of a sudden, Jesus says to the people around Lazarus, you take off his death clothes. You do it. Partner with me in bringing this person back to life. And I can just imagine the people going up to Lazarus. He's been dead for four days. He doesn't smell great. They're unwrapping him saying, I think we need a, a Dead Sea Spa day. <laughs> They're unwrapping him. You know, the face doesn't look great. I mean, there's decrepitness. But as we unwrap people after they've been resurrected, we speak words of life. We speak life into the bones that have been devastated and broken, and we speak back the truth of the Father. We speak those things back, and they come to life. That's our job. He invites us to work with him and says, will you be my voice? Will you be the victory that somebody is looking for? Will you be somebody's life-giving word today? Will you allow me to speak through you to bring people back to life? Powerful. And if I was God, I would never trust us to do that. But he does. He says, will you co-labor with me, co-create? You literally create the person next to you by what you say to them, how you treat them. And we all pretend we don't care. We tell our kids, don't worry, when you grow up, you know, you won't care what anybody thinks. Oh, we're totally lying. We totally care. I mean, we care a little bit less, right? I think as we get closer to, I don't want to point you out, Lorene and Wade, tell anyone how old you are. But I'm sure you care less as you get older, but it still hurts. It hurts because we belong to each other. In order to see our world come to Christ, we need to lean in and listen to the heartbeat of the Father more than ever. I wish I had a lot of answers, specific answers for you, for the specific people that are in your life, but you know, God does. And he's always been faithful to speak to me words of life that partner with him in resurrection. And what does it now look like to restore a life? You want to know what the gospel is? If the gospel is just, you're a sinner, Jesus died for you, confess your sins, now you're clean, you get to go to heaven. If that's it, I'll tell you what, the world doesn't want it, but I'll tell you what they do want. Because I wrote a book on it. And the people who I had read my book were people like my polyamorous friend. And you know what they said about my book? It's on the back. It's, it's a testimonial. This is a shame-busting book. Religion versus man-made religion. A true distinction. These people want what Jesus is offering. What is the gospel? It's Isaiah 61. He binds up the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free. He releases prisoners who we think deserve punishment, and they think they deserve punishment. He releases them. He rebuilds what has been ruined in your life for generations, generational things, genetical things that have been passed down from generation to generation. He says no more. He rebuilds those things, and he gives you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now that's something people want. That's something that I want. That's something that we need. May we see people the way God sees them. But I think first, we may need an encounter with the love of God, and then we'll talk. 
I'd love to call the worship team back up. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here this morning and for these lovely people who serve and love you with all their hearts. And I ask, Father, that you would give us your eyes and give us the honor of knowing your heart. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we've seen with eyes of our own wounds and our own judgment. We don't do it because we hate. We do it because we're scared. We do it for many reasons, Father. We just want to serve you. We're just doing our best. And so this morning, I ask that you would release a love that you have into our hearts in a way that means something that's real. I pray that for every heart, I pray for the hearts that have felt scared to really show you that those deep places inside, those places inside that we are so ashamed of and that we haven't reconciled, I speak to those of you this morning and I ask for bravery in your hearts because the Father is more loving than you think, more forgiving than you think, more merciful than you think. And where has running got you? I pray, Father, for hope to be restored in the hearts of those in here who have felt devastated who've been waiting for answers, only to say like Martha, where are you? I pray for courage and hope to rise up in hearts. I speak to the young generation in the room. I speak to the warriors. I pray that you would know your God more than we've ever known him. I pray that you would be the generation to lead us in what revival could look like, in what a reformation could look like for the kingdom of God in our world. I pray that the adults in the room would have hearts to listen to you. I feel like the enemy has tried to take you out. Why do you think your generation is dealing with more mental illness than, than ever? You're dangerous. You're a threat. And we as the adults, we want to stand with you this morning. We want to put our arms around you. We want to bring you closer. We don't want to call you lazy. I feel like there's youth in the room that, that we have spoken as adults, as teachers, as parents. We've spoken words that have not been encouraging. And it's given you nothing to rise up to. And this morning, I want to speak something different to you. I want to speak over this man's life, leader. You're not lazy. You're a leader. I want to speak over your life that you're an innovator. We need you in the kingdom. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. Yes, you. Like, yeah, yes, you are. I speak over you that you're not forgotten. The Father sees you. He's never left you. Even in times when you thought that he is not there, he is there, he's very close to you. He sees you, girls. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows what, what, what you pray about when no one's looking. He says, delight yourself in me. I'll give you the desires of your heart. 
But we're often afraid to do that. What, would, what, what are you, you going to do with my heart, Lord? Trust me, he says. This is what our youth need. They need us to lead the way in what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't give what we don't have. And if all we have is rules and regulation and rote and religion, that's what we pass to them. And I'd say so far it's not working. Let's give them something better. Let's give them something more real and in line with the kingdom of God. Because that's what they're starving for. That's what you're starving for. I have a few books in the back if anyone is interested. Every book that I sell goes directly towards the mental health initiatives that I do in schools. I've got some signs. I'd love to chat with you. I've also got a book coming out in the fall because I'll tell you what, I'm taking on this mental health stuff. I'm taking it on. I've decided that I don't care who I might think I am because if I really can be honest, I don't think I'm anything great. And I get scared. My knees shake at the thought of taking on a mental health mountain. But every day I just wake up and I'm, I'll be brave because you're brave. And so I'm writing a book called Bring Them Closer, which is for our world. And if you'd like to pre-order that book, you get it for free in the, in the fall. But it also helps me produce the book, if you would like. I just want to offer it because it's, it's something that I feel God calling me to do. But my question back to you is, what is God stirring in your heart right now regarding the people in your world, regarding what you see? Let our eyes be open. Let our eyes be open. Let our hearts be soft. And let our ears hear what the word of the Lord is saying to us today.